The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This is A to Z Healing Toolbox, tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma. I am your host, Susan Hannafin McNabb, social worker, educator, and author of the five-time award-winning guidebook, A to Z Healing Toolbox, a practical guide for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Together on this podcast, we will discover 26 powerful action-based tools and resources that will counter the negative effects of grief and trauma while assisting us in increased healing of the mind, body, and spirit. In each podcast episode, we will hear from inspirational guest experts in the fields of traumatic loss and bereavement, medical practitioners, mental health therapists, best-selling authors, spiritual leaders, nonprofit founders, and everyday individuals who are learning to live in the light despite profound darkness. Thank you for joining me. A to Z tips and tools are yours to integrate on your personal road to healing. Healing Tool G, Group Support. People help you or you help them. And when we offer or receive help, we take in each other and then we are saved by Anne Lamott. Welcome everyone to another edition of A to Z Healing Toolbox, the podcast where we discuss tips and tools for navigating grief and trauma with intention. Today, we are going to be focusing on group support. A couple months ago, we had my wonderful friend Casey Gaunt on the program, and he is the guru for group support and the bereaved parent community. Today, we have Michelle Neff Hernandez on with us. She is the CEO and founder of Soaring Spirits International and Camp Widow, also known as Michelle, the guru of widowed people. Before we get to the interview with Michelle, I would love to share another story by someone who was really impacted in a positive way by the power of group support. I know for me and many other folks I work with, it is relating in community 
with grief and trauma and loss and rebuilding that pulls us together and pulls us up to a new place in our healing. This story is from my friend Jerry, who donated a paragraph to the A to Z Healing Toolbox book on page 97, and she's talking about the power of group support in her own life. My story started the way so many do, with a phone call that brought me to my knees. Our beautiful, charismatic, talented, brilliant 29-year-old son had been taken had taken a fatal dose of heroin. I was blessedly numb for a month or so, then found myself adrift. I asked my angel son, Ryan, what I should do in his honor, and I heard his voice in my head say, Mom, you're really good at making other people feel better. I now had a mission. From that void and the desire to honor my son, the South Denver Metro GRASP group was formed. Grief Recovery After Substance Passing. We have guest speakers and demonstrations and read excerpts from grief healing books. Through our group, I have absolutely witnessed healing. One mom could do nothing but cry the first meeting. But 18 months later, she has become a strong voice of leadership in the group. Another mom said in her first meeting, I'm not sure I'm going to survive this. But at our holiday craft meeting, she seemed to come to life. After every meeting, I feel a renewed sense of purpose to reach out and comfort those who are grieving after a substance passing. Today, Michelle Neff Hernandez will be joining us on the podcast to talk about all the ways group support can help us as we heal. Michelle Neff Hernandez is the founder and chief executive officer of Soaring Spirits International, a nonprofit organization providing peer support programming for widowed people worldwide. Michelle is the author of Different After You, Rediscovering Yourself, after grief or trauma. Her passion for supporting widowed people and the power of integration fuels her presentations and her community activism. Michelle has received local, state, and national recognition for her work in founding Soaring Spirits and was very recently named a top 10 CNN hero. Michelle resides in Simi Valley, California, shares her life with three amazing kids, their awesome partners, her grand pup and kittens, and one very Australian husband. I am so happy today to have my friend, colleague, and boss on the podcast. Uh, Michelle Neff Fernandez is here, and I'm so grateful to her for all the work she's doing in the world because quite literally, Michelle and her organization, Soaring Spirits International, did save my life and in turn help my son thrive. So thank you for being here, Michelle. I'm so happy to be with you. It's great. Uh, today, we're going to talk about letter G, which is group support. And Michelle is the guru of group support for widowed people. Um, a few weeks ago, we had on Casey Gaunt, and he is the guru of group support for the bereaved parent community. 
But um, before we get into group support for widowed people, I just want to share a little story. Two years ago, I think it was two years ago, my mom came to Camp Widow on a Sunday morning to help me pack up and load up and all the things we do at the end of Camp Widow. And it was during the Sunday morning breakfast. And I remember this so clearly, and I'm I'm sure you're going to remember this story, Michelle, but my mom came in and she wasn't quite in the doors yet. And I was standing there and Michelle was standing there and my mom was standing there and my mom just happened to peer into the room. And there were probably 350 widowed people just laughing and eating and grouping, right? A huge, massive group support. And my mom got teary and she turned to you, Michelle, and said, look what you've done. Not in a scolding way, though. But like, <laughs> Not in a scolding way at all. Like, look what you've done. You've gathered all of these people. So I would love to start there. I mean, how have you managed to gather not only 350 people in that one room in San Diego at the Marriott, but people in Tampa, people at Camp Widow Australia, people all over the globe. I know Soaring Spirits has helped over 4 million people. How did this happen? <laughs> I sometimes ask myself that same question. Look what you've done, Michelle. Well, what I like to remember, you know, what I, I want to acknowledge right away is that changing the world is a team sport. And the that this is a team effort by not only the team at Soaring Spirits that's been built over the years that includes an incredible group of volunteers, staff members, board members, advisory board members, but also every single widowed person who's been willing to share their lives with us. And if it were not for their courage and their desire to be connected to other people, Soaring Spirits couldn't exist. And so for me, when I think about, you know, that room and that buzz and and the beauty that exists um, I know that, you know, Susan's heard me say this before, but the magic of Camp Widow, the magic of community, the magic of coming together as a, as a group is in the connections we make with each other. So, you know, what Soaring Series does, we set up the structure, but the magic of it is the willingness of a brokenhearted person to reach out to another brokenhearted person who has been through a similar type of heartbreak and be willing to say, you know, me too. And that That's what made me initially uh, understand the power of group support was the first widow person I met when I walked away feeling like I was not the only widow in the room. Um, And that powerful moment, I was 35 when I was widowed and I didn't have any widowed people that were a part of my life at that time. And so while I had amazing group support in the form of my family and my community. I really was extremely well supported. I always think it's kind of an irony that I started an organization that provides this kind of support because I didn't actually need community support. I had a ton of community support. What I did not have was widowed community support. And that gap of people not knowing what to do with me and not knowing how to help me and me not knowing how to help myself um, left me searching for what I discovered to be other widowed people. That's what I was looking for. And each time I connected with another widowed person, um, the short, the short story of the long story is I thought I was going to write a book. I interviewed 30 people across the U S the first year I was widowed. 
Um, and I, these are just random people. People, if I, if somebody said, I know someone who's widowed, I said, would they let me come to their house? And so, um, I would go to their houses all, I went everywhere and, um, racked up some really great travel stories. I did it on weekends because I was a single parent. And so I, um, I, my family supported me by watching the kids over the weekends. I would fly on a Friday and come back on a Monday um, go back to work on Tuesday. And so it was a crazy time, but, but what kept me going was that each time I met another widowed person living through that experience felt possible. And they showed me that living through what I felt like was a pain that was going to kill me, um, was possible. And every time I met another one, I got a new perspective and another different perspective. And, and so many of them had completely different experiences than mine. Initially, I don't think I realized the power of that. I thought I was going to collect all these stories because I needed a lot of good, you know, different types of stories for the book I was planning to write. So instead of that book, what what happened was I ended up at the end of a year, I gave myself a year to do these interviews. At the end of a year, I thought, gosh, what if I could get all these people in one place? What an incredible, you know, Susie could talk to Mary about this and Joni could talk to Lorraine about this and the four of these people had a very similar experience like that and these and then I was like who am I kidding these people are all over the country how am I going to talk 30 different people into coming to a single place just because I think it would be cool and so then suddenly I thought but wait what if it's any widow person what if it doesn't have to be these 30 what if it could be just any person who's experienced the death of the person they thought they were going to spend their life with what if they came together and that became the foundation for Camp Widow. And then in order to have Camp Widow, I needed to have an organization, I figured. <laughs> and so Soaring Spirits became the umbrella for Camp Widow as we waited for Camp Widow to develop. Then I started thinking, well, I got to offer something while we're waiting. And so the pen pal program came along and then the blog and then, and then Widow people taught me what they needed. And I just kept asking the question, what do you need? And they would say, well, you know, we really want to meet in regional groups. We want to come together socially where we live. And so the regional group program was born. And, you know, when the pandemic happened, what do you need? We need to be together, even if it's virtually. So then Camp Widow Virtual was born. And now our newly widowed program that's happening every week, it's all been about people being willing to be a part of community. And if you don't have that, then you can't have a community. So well said, so many connections, so many offerings now and programs through Soaring Spirits International. You mentioned the regional groups, group mm -hmm. support, anywhere you are virtually and mm -hmm. in person. And one of the things I get to do now, which I love is helping to manage all the regional group leaders. Now we have over 100 of them and over 75 groups. And I think we just started with eight initial groups in 2013, right? We did, and we and we set the goal of having three by the end of that year. We were hoping to have three by the end of the year. So we were a little surprised when there were eight, and then before we knew it, there were 15, and then there were 25. And, you know, it's also, it's it's just a, it's such a beautiful gift. I think the other thing about group support that's so incredible is that it gives us the opportunity to grow through our experience and then give back to our community. And so every one of those regional group leaders and you, Susan, leading them and in the beautiful role you play for Soaring Spirits um, as part of our leadership is that you come back with your own experience and you share it with other people, thereby growing your own resilience while offering that opportunity for others. And so it's such 
a vital part of resilience. And, you know, many people may have heard that we have um, the Soaring Spirits Resilience Center, which is on the campus of Kerrville, um, sorry, of Shriner University in Kerrville, Texas. And one of the things that we learned about resilience for widowed people specifically was that making meaning of our experience and being able to assist other people built resilience um, in a really powerful way. And so one of the one of the key um, goals for Soaring Spirits is, is, of course, always to build resilience in widow people, but we are, are aware and intentional about creating opportunities for people to volunteer with us because that gives them the opportunity to continue their healing in a different way when they've come to a place where they feel they have something to offer. And our regional group of leaders are an incredible and powerful example of that. So I know you talk a lot about resilience. The other word you talk a lot about is integration. Yes, one of my favorites. I know, mine too. So I'm wondering if you can speak to that a little bit. How have you seen widowed people heal through group support while integrating what has happened into their current life? I actually think what's one of the gifts of group support is the opportunity to witness integration in action. And so for me, integration, my my best way of describing it as a three-legged stool with past, present, and future creating the foundation upon which we can grow and heal. And so when we are able to access what we've learned from the past, allow that to be a tool we use in our present, that helps us create a meaningful future. And so when we're in a group setting, especially a group setting where you are connected with people who shared an experience, in our case, a traumatic and difficult experience. When we are in community together, it's normal to talk about that past without being considered, you know, that we're overwhelmed by horrible things, we are incapable of moving forward. That gives us access to the past in a healthy way. And when we have that access to the past, one of the things I like to remind widow people of is if you and I are standing here talking, you survived being widowed. You are standing in front of me and there is a way that you got here and the tools and the techniques, and it doesn't have to be pretty. Sometimes it isn't pretty, but you have made it this far and and you've learned some really important things. And if we try to separate ourselves from our past, we also separate ourselves from the tools that help us get where we are. And so when we allow ourselves the access to the past, integration is in its simplest form, allowing past, present and future a place in our lives every day. And if you think about it, you know, Susan and I are sitting here together having a lovely conversation tomorrow, this, you know, an hour from now, really, this is part of our past. And we can both reflect back. Remember that time we had that conversation? That was, this is something I learned from it. If I allow that to be a part of my life, then in my present, I have access to the thing Susan just told me, which was really beneficial to me. And when I get an opportunity to share that with someone else in the future, it's because integration is at work because I'm using past, present, and future in a fluid way that allows us access to everything we've lived through. And and that, I think, is the hard part for widowed people and for grievers in general, which is these tools and these resources came to us in a traumatic and difficult way. And sometimes we convince ourselves that if there's any value that comes from that, that means that what we lived through has value. And I like to separate that for people. My husband died in a horrible accident. That was bad and will always be bad. What came after it, the way I lived through it and what I learned from it, now that was good, really good. I have access to that if I choose it. Bad, not optional. Good, optional. 
And so if I allow myself to be changed by what I've lived through, allow my past a present, a place at the table, a place in my life table, then I have access to what I what I use to get to where I am today. And I think group support uniquely provides us with the opportunity, just speaking again about volunteers. When I'm volunteering, when I have come back and built a life around serving widowed people, I absolutely need to count on my past experience. Otherwise, how can I be able to really truly interact in a powerful way with someone who's living the same experience that I had, even if the details are completely different? So I need the access to my past in order in my present to serve in order to be able to make meaning that creates a meaningful future for myself and actually influences other people's futures as well. So you mentioned tools and techniques, and um, I remember getting some tools and techniques from you in my past. I was probably 2013 or 2014, one of my first Camp Widows, and you were doing a workshop called Life in the Fishbowl. And I see that you integrated life in the fishbowl into your book, which we will talk about in a minute. But I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about life in the fishbowl, because that is such a wonderful analogy for people who are sitting in the group of, you know, it's a mess at first, right? And now you're sitting in a group of widowed people or a group of friends or a group of colleagues or a group of whoever and you're in a fishbowl. So I would love for you to just chat about what that means and how people can use that analogy in their life. The thing about the fishbowl is that it it happened for me in my kitchen just about two weeks after Phil died. And I was standing in the kitchen, which did not have um, any kind of covering on it because we had a beautiful front lawn that looked out onto our um, basketball court. And so I liked to have the, the, big open window so that there would be, I could see out and it was just, it was gorgeous. So then as soon as he dies, suddenly there are people driving down my street and they can look into my window. And because Phil's accident happened in a community that is, um, he was well known in, people really wanted to find out how I was doing. And their way of doing that was driving down our street and looking in my window. And so I legit, legitimately thought like, I am a fish, I feel like a goldfish in a fishbowl. People just keep staring at me. And here I am on the other side, actually swimming in water. They're outside breathing air, looking in like, what's going on in there? Um, and, it, and it caused me to have to rethink how I could protect myself, how I could set boundaries that allowed me the space that I needed to heal without the influence and, um, and, and sometimes awful feedback any widowed person has heard some of the horrible things, you know, including for me as a young widowed person, don't worry, honey, you're going to get another husband. Um, I know this one's only been dead a couple of weeks, but <laughs> you'll get another one and it's all going to be fine. So, um, so as I met other widowed people and came to understand how, how often what happens, I think, is that we are so broken in that early stage that we're just opening our arms to whatever help we can get bring it on everybody, all of you. And the person that you usually 
would have made decisions with is no longer available. And so now I like to think of it as the um, as the council of me, myself and I, the council of me, myself and I were the only ones who were, you know, I'm like, I don't know, five year fence, 10 year fence, 15 year fence. All I know is the fence blew down and I'm not sure which one of those I'm supposed to choose. And the person I typically would talk about this with is dead. So what ends up happening then is you start getting feedback, all this feedback, some you may solicit, but certainly others you did not. And so I found myself overwhelmed by the amount of, of unsolicited paired with the solicited feedback I was getting, and I needed to figure out a way to sort it. And so um, as I paired my experiences with other widowed people's experience, I created this way of looking at how we filter feedback because there's a danger. There's two, right? The first one is too much feedback, too much feedback. The other one is I don't listen to any of you because too many people have said horrible things to me. And now I listen to no one. And so I had to find a balance between those two things. And I developed a way of looking at really it's the relationships in your life and being able to clarify how close is this person actually to you? We, I, I gave it kind of a fun way of looking at it, which is, you know, fish feeders. Fish feeders are the people who support you actively in your life. And fish feeding can be anything. Um, it can be, you know, physically, it can be mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in a way that some but these people are people who you respect, who love you and who you trust. And then um, and then we have people who are living in our fishbowl with us. And so those are people who your actions directly impact. For me, that was my three kids. So I'm living in my fishbowl with my three kids. Every choice I made was going to directly impact their lives. And so I need to keep that, I need to take that into consideration as I'm making choices. And then there's people who live in neighboring fishbowls. This is really important for group support, right? Because you're in a group, you've been widowed five years and that person's been widowed five years. And you're thinking, wait a minute, you have got your stuff all in order. Mine still seems a bit messy. And, and understanding the differences when we start comparing ourselves to other people who have a similar experience, but clearly are not you. And then there's people who are looking in your fishbowl. Those are the fish viewers, like, you know, the person who was looking in my window. And I like to, I put them in there because sometimes people see something you don't see when you're too close to it. And so it's a real thing that someone who doesn't know you that well might say something that's worth considering. But the truth is they're mostly on the outside looking in. And so they don't have all the information either. And then the last category is fish who live in the ocean. And I like to point out that salt water is very bad for goldfish. And so um, the people who live in the ocean are people like a coworker who says, God, why do you always look sad? Or someone who says, you know, you really should be dating, even though they've met you once and they have no idea what your life is like. Um, and, and the reason I put them in is because so often we give them air. So if someone at work says to me, you know what, nobody's ever going to want to hang out with you because you are no fun. Then I go home thinking, oh, my God, they're right. I'm no fun. Like, I'm no fun. Instead of being able to say, you know what, your husband's been dead for three months. Probably being fun, not the top of your priority list. And so instead, we, we often give them too much air because the hurtful things that they can sometimes say um, take up space in our brain. And so the fishbowl way of looking at feedback is to help us determine how we can take the feedback that we get and filter it in a way which doesn't lock out all feedback, but also doesn't allow us to be changed by feedback that's coming from people who 
aren't really a part of your life and whose opinions don't actually matter. I love the fishbowl. I still remember sitting in that session going, I love that. I love that analogy. So it's really you. one of my workshops that I have gotten the most feedback on over the years. And so I knew that I needed to include it because um, in part, because also it's been really helpful for me. I, I tell a story in the book about when I was marrying Michael and I was planning to uh, leave out the words till death to us part out of our vows because I was really afraid um, I, for people who don't know, Michael is my husband. Um, we married five years after Phil's death. And um, my best friend, Michelle, is actually one of the um, founding board members of Soaring Spirits. And we've been together through the whole thing of it. And so when I said to her, um, she's she's clearly a fish feeder. And when I said to her, you know, I'm not, I don't think I'm going to say that. I just, I, I, I was afraid of it. That's the truth. I was afraid of saying those words. And I said, I'm not going to say it. And she said, don't you think that Michael deserves that? And I was just like, oh, why, why, why do you have to go Leave right to, to the source? To say that, right? but, yeah, but, but when writing about it in the book, the thing I wanted people to understand is that I didn't need to do what she said, but I did need to consider what she said because she loves me, because I trust her, because she knows me and she knows the things that will push my buttons and because she could see that it's likely fear that was keeping me from making that decision. And so it's important for us to understand that there is feedback when we're grieving that's important. Because a lot of times we can fall into that sort of trap of, you know what, nobody knows what I'm going through but me, and I don't have to pay attention to anything that anyone says. And while that's empowering, and sometimes we need to go there in order to separate ourselves from the overload of uh, feedback that we often get, it's a dangerous place to stay because then you are counting only on the counsel of me, myself, and I with no outside feedback. And so I shared that story in the book to demonstrate that I did end up choosing to say those words. It did end up being the right choice for me, but it wasn't my, my point for rep representing that as Michelle being a fish feeder was to say, it was my job to consider what she said and to really weigh it heavily before I decided. And so um, it's just something that still works today. So I'm, I'm hopeful that it will provide people with a really good way of learning how to filter feedback that they get throughout their lives. So speaking of the book, I know there's a chapter about life in the fishbowl, but there are also mm -hmm. a bunch of other chapters and I haven't even gotten them gotten through them all yet because the book just came in a few days ago and I'm going to read it on the plane. Yay. I'm so excited. Um, but the book title is different after you. So my question to you is, how are you different? You personally, how are you different after Phil's death? There's a number of really clear differences. Um, first of all, I live a completely different life. Uh, when Phil was alive, we were both 100% focused on physical uh, event training. I would every weekend be running, riding, or running, riding, running. Um, we would plan all of our vacations around um, that kind of lifestyle, which I loved um, and loved having that. I loved that I had that with him. Um, but now you'll see me traveling, speaking, doing workshops, teaching things like the fishbowl. Um, my new husband is less of a physical person and more of a resting person, which has been so good for me because my personality, as you might be able to tell based on the stories I've been telling, 
kind of go, go, go. And so um, his ability to kind of rest has been so good for me. But, you know, as an example, we would go to Hawaii for a vacation and lay on the beach. You know, if I were to go to Hawaii with Phil, we would run around the entire beach all day long till we were so tired that we would lay down and he hated sand. So it would not be on the beach. Um, so there's lifestyle things that are different, but about, you know, me particularly, I used to believe hundred percent that you could hard work yourself out of anything. And Phil's death taught me that that's not true. And that I needed to find other ways to cope with things in my life that weren't as I wanted them to be. I had to learn to be more accepting of the fact that sometimes things don't go like you want them to. And prior to Phil's death, I'd pretty much been able to hard work myself out of anything. It was like, well, that didn't work out. So work harder at this. And then I'm going to get that instead. And my life was really more structured around goals being met and setting the next goal and the next goal. And while if you were to read my bio, I guess you might think that that's still playing out in its way. It is a part of my personality. So I think that's true. I'm less structured about it. I'm less about making sure that I hit the target, more about living the experience and making sure that in my life, I'm making the time for the things that matter to me and not spending so much time following goals that the goal between comes the only thing. You know, it used to be like the goal, getting hitting the goal, that was the most important part. Now it's more about the experience of it and understanding like I'm getting somewhere, but in the getting there, I don't want to lose everything from the time I started the goal to the time I ended the goal. And that's a direct reflection of my grief experience um, and has really influenced my life from the time that I was able to kind of process that understanding, um, which really kind of was early because I realized for a widowed person, for example, you know, people would say, oh gosh, you must miss Phil so much on Christmas. Well, yeah, of course I miss him on Christmas, but I miss him more on rainy days when he was supposed to be coming, you know, he would call me from work every day because he was in air conditioning and heating, couldn't work on rainy days. So every rainy day he would call me, are you coming home yet? Are you coming home yet? Are you coming home yet? Um, and so rainy days still remind me of him. And it's not the same as a Christmas, right? It's not the same as the big days. And when we realize, looking back, that the days I miss him most are on rainy days, I realize that that means that these small days that we each live every single day, the people we interact with, the time we spend with our families and our friends and our kids, those are the times they're going to miss when we're no longer able to do that. It's not going to be about the big goal you hit. My nieces and nephews don't care that I wrote a book. They do think it's cool to stand in Barnes and Noble and hold the book up, but mostly because they just want to send a picture of themselves with my book at, you know, to me, but it's because I took the time to develop a relationship with them. And honestly, I'm not sure I would have if, Phil had, if I hadn't learned what I learned from Phil's death. So, you know, prior to that, it would have been more about like hitting the goals and thinking at some point, my family will be proud of me because I hit all these goals. No, my family wants to have a relationship with me. And if I get so tied up in the goals that I forget to have relationships, then when I die, they're going to think, I oh, gosh, I wish I knew her better, but I'm committed to making sure that doesn't happen. And that, that I am available and a part of the people's lives who matter to me. And yeah, that means a lot of juggling. And <laughs> sometimes the goals don't get hit at the time that I would have liked them to. Um, but it has been one of the greatest lessons that I have learned from my grief experience to make sure that the time I spend is how I want to spend it. Beautifully said. 
So my last question for you, before I ask you, how can people get hold of you if they want to? Um, the last question I have for you is if someone is listening and they say, okay, yes, I'd like to integrate a little group support into my life. How mm -hmm. could they go about doing that? Do you have any ideas or suggestions, whether they're a widowed person, whether they're a bereaved parent, a bereaved sibling, anyone who's healing a grief or trauma experience, how can they step into some sort of group support if that if they've never had to look into that or it's not even in their comfort zone, maybe? Yeah. I love that you said that. Um, of course you said it. Susan's very intuitive. Um, but the the part about not knowing, you know, many times people are like, I'm not a group person. No, thank you. <laughs> group sounds terrible to me. Um, one of the things I love about Soaring Spirits is that because of our virtual presence, people can interact as they want to. So they can read things. Maybe they never comment. Maybe being a part of a group, just so you know, being a part of a group doesn't necessarily have to mean that you go to an event and you interact with those 350 widow people. But here's what I'll tell you. If you end up, what I would say to anyone is seek other people who've had your experience, whatever it is. And when I say that, I mean, you could read a blog, you can join a Facebook group, you can find an organization like Soaring Spirits that serves the community that you are seeking. You can go to a support group in your local area. You can reach out I and mean, ask Google. Google knows all things. So you can ask Google. But what I, what I mean is this, the first step to group support is just finding one other person who is living your experience. And so start there. And it can be as simple as a blog. In fact, so many people come to Soaring Spirits through our blog because they're reading other uh, people, their words on the screen are like, wait, that's my experience too. And that's the purpose of group support is knowing that you're not the only one living this experience. So if you're a person who loves big groups, then you're going to be looking for that big on in-person event where you can interact with as many people as possible. If you're a person who does not love that, all it takes is finding one other person. And that one other person might be a blog writer. It could be someone in a Facebook group. It could be someone in a forum like our Widowed Village. It could be someone else who has had the similar death experience or, you know, illness or struggling with, you know, something that is unique that you just can't find anybody else. I know there are other people and you only need to find one. And that counts as group support. And so once you've found that one, um, I want to say that it is true also that you have to find the right group support for you. And if your first foray into the group support arena is not a good one, please try again. Please try again, because you have to find the right group. There's the, It's true that you might find a group and be like, whoa, that's not going to work for me. But they're not the only ones. So keep looking because the value you can find in group support, whether it's a one person group or a 500 person group, is something so critical to our ability to understand our experience, that it's worth the effort that it may take to find the right group for you. I'm so glad you brought that up about trying again if, if one doesn't fit. I always say to people who are looking for groups or therapists for that matter, it takes mm -hmm. a little trying on. It's like trying on pants. I don't yes. think I've ever gone into a store, tried on a pair of pants and abracadabra, they automatically fit right sometimes no. they're too short they're too long they're itchy the button's broken like you have to try on some pants right to find yeah. the right one that fits for sure and i think that i mean i'm sorry that that's true for grievers 
because I know that when you feel like you just don't have any energy, how am I going to find time to do that? How am I going to find the emotional energy to try again when that first pair of pants was terrible? And so, but you know, it's worse to go without pants. So I just want you to say to everyone, try again. I know, I wish that it were easy, but I, I think that what we come to understand through our grief experience is that we can do hard things. And even if the hard thing is finding the right group, I promise you, when you find the right group, you are going to be so, so grateful. And that right group can be an avenue through which your healing really begins to take a new direction. And so it's worth going back to that another store and another dressing room to keep trying on until you find the perfect pair of jeans that looks like you've been wearing them forever, but also very cool. Beautifully said. Now, if folks would like to touch base with you, contact you, get you on their podcast, get you on their show. I know you're doing a lot of speaking engagements right now more than ever. Um, and I did mention at the beginning here before you got on that you are one of the top 10 CNN heroes of 2021. Yeah. So that is just amazing. And congratulations again on that. Thank you. It was a once in a lifetime experience really incredible. And I'm sure your world is exploding with all sorts of speaking engagements. But if someone's listening to this podcast, and they would like to get in touch with you, how can they do that? Well, all roads lead to me eventually if you go through Soaring Spirits. So I always like to make sure people know that soaringspirits.org is the place you go if you're trying to find Soaring Spirits, anything related to the widowed programs that we offer. Um, and then I have my own website, which is where you can find me. My name is spelled with one L because my mom thought it would be beautifully French to spell Michelle with one L. So it's michellenefhernandez.com. And uh, you can find all the information about the book. You can find ways to get in touch with me. And uh, I will be happy to connect. I love what I do. And I'm so grateful, Susan, for you in every way, but in particular today for sharing this uh this opportunity today. Thank you. Uh, well, thanks for coming on and um, I will talk to you soon. <laughs> Sounds good. Be well, everyone. A to Z Healing Toolbox offers professional trainings, live and virtual workshops, podcast interviews, healing guidebooks, speaking engagements at conferences nationwide, small group virtual support, and solo sessions individually tailored to meet your unique needs. Books can be found on the A to Z Healing Toolbox website, on Amazon, at Barnes & Noble, and your local bookstore. If you would like to connect with Susan and join a small group for virtual support or schedule a solo session, please contact Susan at a to z toolbox.com. Intuition is our spiritual GPS and the single best tool that we have for navigating our lives. I'm Victoria Shaw, and on my Intuitive Connection podcast, I will share with you the ways to connect with your intuition and awaken the gifts of your soul. In each episode, I'll draw on my own intuitive gifts and my training as an Ivy League trained counselor and psychologist to help support you in reaching your highest potential. Start listening now on Mind Body Spirit FM Podcast Network or wherever you find your podcasts.